You want to try another mind meld? Uh, do I ever. All right, let's do it. Um, three, two, one. Can. Pants. Can. Can pants. Can pants. Okay. Three, two, one. Campbell's. Paint. Paint Campbell's. Okay. 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 Yep. Three, two, one. Red. <laughs> Red and broth. Broth, yeah. Okay. Okay. Three, two, two one. one. Tomato. Blood. <laughs> Blood tomato. Okay. Um, All right. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Vampire. Juice. <laughs> vampire <laughs> juice. <laughs> Shit. Vampire juice. Vampire juice. All right. Um. Um. Uh, isn't it blood already though? So vampire juice, not blood. We're already. I'm already cheating in mind meld right now. All right. By three, talking. two, one. Garlic. Vodka. Garlic vodka. Okay. 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 Three, Three, two, two one. Pickle. Russian pickle. Russian pickle. Okay. Three, two, two one. one. Putin. Food and Putin. Okay. Three, Three two, two, one. Poutine. Which? <laughs> okay, sandwich and poutine. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. one. Canada. Canada potato. <laughs> Canada potato. Uh, three, two, one. Bacon. Farm bacon. Okay. Three, two, one. Cow. No. Oh my god. Forgot <laughs> where bacon came from. <laughs> To the Sitting Ducks podcast, it's oh. your boy Mikey Dunn <laughs> and Jaybird. Mm. Whoa! I did that at the show at the Sitting Ducks show this past Saturday. I think I went, and I'm Mikey Dunn, and someone in the audience went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard them do like a, oh. Ooh. okay, that's who this guy is. Okay. How'd you feel about that show? I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I think it was really, it was a long time coming as far as the show goes. As far as I'm concerned. You know, since the Sitting Ducks started just as a podcast and us having guests on, turned mm-hmm. into a radio show, having characters on, and it was the first time you and I could, um, I think, be characters in what is the Sitting Ducks uh, universe that we're yeah. in right now. Yeah. And that was really freeing because we've done so much duo stuff together but not actual improv right which is bizarre very bizarre so it was a very it was a really cool moment in that regard as far as performing with you goes yeah i agree it was different because we've been doing this podcasting radio hour stuff where we've been just hosting and ourselves and ourselves yeah yeah so doing this was a bit different but also i mean it was a lot different but uh, also just conceptually, I think the show was different than things that we'd uh, done in the past and also things that 
we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, our, yeah, I wasn't anticipating doing as many, as many callbacks or repeat scenes. Yeah, we, uh, we found a way with the, what is Portal Prov mm. and uh, various ambient uh, world sounds like uh, Forest or um, a modeling agency, a, a, a bar with music, sure. uh, a piano and some harps. Yeah, you but know, I mean, even, helicopter. Even, yeah, even like the the helicopter scene specifically, we we managed to tie tie some things in that uh, otherwise, you know, I wasn't anticipating doing. We really built a world out of it. I think we thought in the form of Harold a lot. I think. Yeah, there, that's a good. That's a good point. There's something uh, the the callbacks in particular that we were using throughout the set, and not so much us. I mean, I mean. Uh, Peter Kunis uh, helping us out yeah, direct, time. directing that show. Um, and he was in control over the pace of that show. When it comes to wipes, he wiped everything on his, on his own, mm-hmm. had, on his own accountability, yeah. loaded the sounds in which would create the story that you and I would follow. So mm-hmm. we still, so I was thinking about this, like with the radio show, we will have um, people call in. Mm-hmm. And when people call in to the radio hour, it does dictate the moment. Right. Tom Epstein being lost in Portal Verse wouldn't have started if whomever it was from the last year's 401 Give Show or the first Sitting Ducks radio show. Yeah. Um, the portal evolved from someone going through the portal the por- well, and also having Julie on and her being Dr. Poppy expert, the, you know, expert on portals. Anyways, mm-hmm. long story short, what I'm trying to say is we've never really had full control other than the podcast when it comes to doing this. So right. with Sydney Ducks Radio Hour, the audience being Collins was a huge part of dictating where the show went in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and Sitting Ducks was really cool live in, for improv was because we got to be characters for the first time and kind of be in control over like the tone that we wanted to set as characters because we don't usually get to be characters. Yeah. But Peter, being the director, was kind of like our audience calling in Right. dictating the show because we still had this sense of danger of not knowing what sound was going to come next right from peter yeah and he did a great job too of uh you know world building as well you know he picked a lot of different uh environments but also environments that i think played well together mm-hmm. you know specifically the um our uh our fashion scenes i feel like those yeah. like really somehow managed to borrow from past scenes while yeah. still seeming fresh each time it came out. Right. We met as characters in like the, at a medi- medieval bar or something like that. Or not even medieval. It was like, it was from like the early 1900s. It was like a 1920s bar. Um, in what scene? When we were both uh, English men and I was from out of town and I was wearing <laughs> yes. short shorts in the bar. Yeah. Short shorts. And, um, at one point, uh, you told me you were the mayor mm-hmm. of this town that I was finding my way through. Yeah. And uh, once you said you were the mayor, I said, whoa, oh my God, I didn't know you were the mayor. And I wiped my hand and I shook your hand and said, Mark Jacobs. Oh, yes, that's The fashion right. designer. That's and then right. you came, you said, I'm Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> and it was like, Mayor Jeffrey Dahmer. And yeah. I, we were both in that moment like, 
we're gonna be we're gonna have famous children uh, gra- like <laughs> that's lineage. right yes you said and then that the fashion show ended up being the fashion designer mark jacobs fashion show yeah yeah that was a great uh great tie-in it was all callbacks man. yeah yeah that was really fun yeah i i i love uh you know one of the one of the mantras that i really enjoy in improv right now is um invest not invent and mm-hmm. i think we did a lot of investing while still inventing uh, i i think you know mm-hmm. there's um there's joy there's fun in the creation of stuff but if we're investing in uh things we said in the past things we did in the past it, it makes for for my from my perspective a richer show yeah absolutely i mean little little moments um you know we had a landlord and a tenant in mm-hmm. one scene and then later when we were in the helicopter, we saw that same landlord. Right, paying over his house. Yeah. Paying over his house from the helicopter perspective. So mm. just like a variety of little ways of just constantly having a reoccurring storyline. And it was unplanned as far as how a herald can or cannot be right. with um, how you kind of call back to early parts of the story as far as um, form goes and structure of uh, a set. But we didn't have, we had no basic structure outside of just having to react to Peter's feeling on where he wanted to take the next scene. And he was really good with his pacing from one scene, one other scene, one other scene, call back to that scene. So he kind of was working in like, I don't know how aware of it he was either, but he was definitely working in like every other to every three calling something back or we found well we found ways but he would bring back the same sound again right sometimes or heightened versions of that sound i think we have like several outdoors forest sounds oh we have a lot of forest (laughs) (laughs) right uh for anyone who doesn't know uh or isn't aware or hasn't seen our improv set feel free to jump over to, to youtube the providence improv guilds youtube and uh watching sitting ducks improv show because that is what we're referencing heavily right now yeah this is absurd sure to anybody that did not see the show but i also i this is kind of where the conversation of that show i think ends and the conversation of character begins mm-hmm. sure it's elusive right it's it's like when you think character you think what are what's what's the depth of my accent catalog oh yeah like who like, can i impersonate sure yeah but, but, but that's not all yeah sorry can no yeah no you're, you're finishing my thought it's not all that's not all character is and honestly i would argue characters almost not that oh absolutely character is much more than just an accent because in sitting ducks improv we played a lot of very different characters that were all close to us playing ourselves. Hmm. You know, like, character to me is a variation of your perspective as a person. Because all hmm. you know is your reality, right? Yep. So playing a different reality is not possible. Because you don't know what you don't know, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, what you are doing is taking on different traits, different stories, uh, you know, d- different histories. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for example, there was just one scene that we did that wasn't related to any other scene, and it was this Walmart parking lot, right? Grand grandson grandfather scene, and I feel like you and I didn't play any character 
like those characters. No. But they weren't absurd in any way. You know, they weren't vastly different than who we are as as people. Oh. Would you say? I mean, you talked about weren't you like an old man and you talked about like leaving your your wife? Sure. Yeah. But it wasn't anything crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was, you mean like the subtleties of right. changing a character. Changing a character up, right. right. You know, I you was don't just have talking from my perspective of, you know, falling in love at a, at a Walmart. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. I don't... Uh, I, think, I think the idea of... How much of a character can you truly be in comedy? Right. Because... A lot of comedy is you using like the the knowledge that you have and applying it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like everything you know in life, you can apply to comedy. Right. So how much of a character can you really be when you are only going into this make-believe scenario? Right. With your own your own truly your own unique experience in life yeah i mean we we did a scene well we did several uh or two i guess technically landlord tenant scenes yeah where you've obviously never been a landlord no but i've had landlords but you've had landlords right (laughs) so you know the perspective of that dynamic there was a character that um, there was a hole in the ceiling. You, you went <laughs> right. to your house. You said, there's a hole in my ceiling. You're going to fix it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll fix it. And I went through this really long process of like getting, assembling my equipment, which then just led to me painting over the hole in the ceiling. Right. And you saying, you're just going to paint over the hole in the ceiling. I said, you never lived in an apartment before. And I've had that exact same thing happen to me. And four months later, the tenant above me's bathroom falling through into my bathroom no way yeah what the fuck yeah wow that's insane it's so dumb (laughs) that they thought that was a good idea and anytime i've seen it because it happens a lot more than you think sure should happen but that i didn't even i didn't know that i didn't Mm. know that about your experience with the fucking landlord but like you played it you played it perfectly like of course like the scene started out with me saying like i think the all right so the scene started out with the sounds of water dripping yeah kind of sounded like we were in a cave it was right like, yeah, it was a cavernous dungeon so for me it was like well how do we make this scene a little more real than just two dudes in a cave mm-hmm. it's it's my apartment right yeah. and you're really good at that yeah so because my brain probably would have gone to cave thank so, you sorry but as your thought but it, what it did was it, you know, this is what I love about improv. So we're building this fucking ship together. Right. So I was like, my fucking ceiling's leaking. Are you going to do anything about it? And instead of fixing it, instead of doing something logical about it or coming up with an excuse to not do it, you did it poorly. Right. <laughs> Which is like the, the subtext <laughs> there is that landlords are shitty. Right. Landlords are going to be shitty. Yeah. If they, they will be as shitty as you let them be. Right. And if you live in a really good neighborhood that a lot of people want to live in, they're going to care about you a lot less because they're like, leave. Right. Be my guest. <laughs> Do you know how many people want to live in this area? Right. Right. For yeah, this rent? For this rent and for, you know, less uh, expectation than you yeah, have. Exactly. Um, but I feel like that was just like a great example of playing a character 
that is not by i guess definition a character you know you're just being you're embodying the landlord i needed you to be in that scene and then some right because obviously that scene couldn't couldn't resolve right no and you heightened the lack of resolve by making the situation worse you literally cannot paint over a fucking leak no but from my perspective you played a fucking wonderful character that we got to explore at dinner later yeah and then which led to me wanting to have a bromantic relationship right. with you because and there was leave confusion because there, there was, was. confusion yeah. over what yeah what we were gonna have yeah because your character was expect because your character in that scene that we were just talking about was someone who wanted me to fix this because you're trying to get some ladies over right. to your house because yeah, you're to, a, you're, i wanted to date you're a bachelor and right you, you're embarrassed to bring people to your to your home for you know good times and <laughs> um and so the me coming to meet you for dinner uh, and me not liking my family and me thinking like let's have a bro time right or maybe fall in love <laughs> and you were just like your character i think right. you knew where i was coming from as justin but your character we weren't the fact that we both knew or both our characters were thinking different things right and knowing that yeah and then using that later sure i mean i will say like i've always never fully understood the idea of like a bachelor pad mm -hmm. because to me bachelor pad means like i'm setting this place up so that i can impress ladies but i think in that scene your perspective of a bachelor pad is that setting it up for the boys right for the bros right. and i've always been wrong in thinking bachelor related stuff i think is it's to set up like further dating and uh, oh yeah but it's it's not it, bachelor pad bachelor stuff is like no girls allowed i suppose yeah yeah i mean you you're right i think i mean sure you can go either way it's up to it's subjective as far as a relationship goes i would say right. like it that's if you were living in a relationship living with someone you probably wouldn't have a bachelor pad or if you're just in a regular right. relationship you probably wouldn't be a bachelor pad. anyways <laughs> sure aside from the bachelor pad. <laughs> right right but that was a misunderstanding in the scene right that led to further character development right because there was clearly this misunderstanding in the scene which meant that the characters themselves were misunderstanding but it, it it created a more i guess rich dynamic because then you started crying about your family not being able to paint over them mm -hmm. and i started looking for the wait staff right to get out to get out of the whole situation sure yeah, yeah. you realize you were this is a horrible mistake right yeah <laughs> As Job in, in Arrested Development would say. Yes. I've made, made a huge mistake. Made a huge mistake. Um, but I mean, you know, that, that, that all comes from that literal moment in that first scene where instead of fixing the problem or doing anything with the problem, you made the problem worse. Mm. And that was the game. And we explored that game further in that second scene where we were getting dinner. Mm-hmm. And I think character and game go hand in hand. But what I want to know from you is when you're watching 
movies, television shows. I, I remember you saying that you were watching Seinfeld re- recently. Maybe you got, got back into it. Kind of, yeah. When you're watching stuff, like, what elements of character are you looking for? Like, what stands out to you? In Seinfeld? Not in Seinfeld specifically, but, it, like, in anything. Even in, oh. even in uh, Batman that we just saw. Yeah, it's, uh... Hmm. The thing that I'm always looking for with character is just, like, a sense of confidence in oneself. Mm. Even if you are a character that is has a lot of self-doubt um maybe Mm self-deprecation that's your character Mm -hmm. even in that like you can still have you know confidence and as to why you self-doubt yourself right so like kramer for example or even george i guess george in seinfeld Mm -hmm. your character who is pretty shitty pretty shitty of a, a person which one both of them <laughs> yeah, they're both not great kramer's not a great person sure um but they're confident yes in their ways right and i think that that's uh that's something that's a really good thing to look for because even though the person playing this character knows that this character is a shitty character they empathize with them right and at the, the actor empathizes with the character and that just sort of marries the, the authenticity, I guess, of playing that type of character. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, both of those characters, no matter what they do, they had their reasons. Right. Um, yeah. We've talked about that. I think a little bit as far as being an actor and sure empathizing with your character, even if they're a bad person. Yeah. Um, Cause otherwise you're not really playing that person. Right. Yes. We did talk about this a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's worth exploring more and more for sure. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, even Robert Pattinson as Batman, you could tell that him as an actor really empathized with this character. Mm-hmm. And really did a good job of playing a grounded Batman who was really fucking traumatized from his parents splitting up. He didn't seem like a fucking rich kid, rich bachelor, if you will. Yeah, it was uh, even as Batman, though, too. It's like, I I don't think I've ever seen a Batman that warm. Mm. Um, a lot of the people when they've played Batman are usually these like, I don't want to say cold. They're generally cold characters. Yeah, they're unrelatable. Right. And that's on purpose, right? For them to not, you know, reveal any form of identity. Right. Them as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah. Um, And we could get into that. uh, (laughs) Sure. As men. Uh, But, uh, (laughs) but no, this Robert Pattinson Batman was very, a very warm Batman, which he's still is broody and you know doesn't show a lot of emotion but it was he did a lot lot more work with his eyes than i've seen with a lot of batman in the past but as an audience member as as somebody who has seen so much batman in their lives i feel like i related to this batman the most me too and it made all of the other batman feel that much more unrelatable Dude, I watched Batman Begins, the Nolan one, yeah. after, because I wanted to watch another first. Sure. Know, again, for what it's worth right now, this Batman is really good as it is. It's only the first one. It right. could go really 
it could get much better or it could get worse. Sure. Uh, but but besides that, I thought the Nolan films, when those came out, were so grounded. Yeah. And then I then watching this one, I was like, oh, this one feels more grounded, but also more Tim Burton-y at the same time. Oh, that's an interesting take. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, and I came to think it was like the perfect blend of uh, the Tim Burton Batman films and the Nolan Batman films. And I was like, right. Because the Tim wow. Burton films had a bit of like mysterious elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not magical, but like grungy world building yeah it was surreal yeah. like they really played into the surrealism of both both of these films sure yeah um and the nolan ones was like the chicago right and this one they did a lot of like blue screen blending with cities and like putting chicago with other cities or oh, did they making really? fake stuff yeah so they kind of blended a lot from what i've uh seen that's that's wild. Yeah, it didn't really feel like Gotham was recognizable in right. this in this one. It it sounds so cheesy. Sure. When they when they say uh that Gotham is a, is one of the main characters in this movie. Gotham. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, 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 I get that. I thought you were going to say like us talking about cityscapes was cheesy. But I I'll tell you anytime I see fucking New York City in a movie like I'm like I know that place. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I've been there before. Can't wait for New York uh, in April. Ben Schwartz, if you're listening, uh, we're, we're coming. Yeah, I guess if Ben Schwartz is listening, let us know that you're listening. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. Batman aside, mm-hmm. what other characters stand out to you when you think character in pop culture? Uh, physicality. What about you? Um. Uh, Oh, I was talking about characters specifically, not characteristics. Okay, okay. But physicality, as far as characteristics go, physicality to me, I feel like yeah, is huge. That I think I think physicality physicality informs a lot about a character. And I don't even think like physicality necessarily means big physicality. When I think physicality, I think Kramer. But Seinfeld is still being physical. Yeah, you can walk with your back slouched and be considered a certain type of character and walk with your chest out and be mm-hmm. considered a completely different type of character or, you know, your, yeah, just how fast you talk, the rhythm in which you speak. Do you ever start a scene with physicality and let the rest of the detail fill in? Yeah, do you? I don't know. I don't think I do. Really? I feel like I've seen you do that. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I, lo- I love going out into scenes and no one joining me. Uh, you, you excel at that. Yeah. I, and I know I can leave you out there mm. to really build space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think in my improv that's something I do a lot anymore. It's something I used to do a lot when I was starting out. And now I'm not saying <sighs> that this is like a starting out technique. But now I like to go in with just a little something to to build on from an opener. I'm a big opener guy. Mm. Um, so if I can I like come out with something that connects with the audience on a little deeper than just physicality, I'll do it. But if I, if we're in a show and no one's going out there, for sure, I'll start out with physicality. I think it's a great place to start. But as an improviser on a bigger team... I tend to like pull back just to let other people initiate rather than come out on just physicality alone. Mm, 
Yeah, I, I feel like because I often like coming out with physicality alone, yeah. um, I often join people more than initiate with, with words. Mm. I usually, my best way of initiating a scene is when I come out and can kind of just like walk into my character yeah. for a minute and just be, be patient with them. Yeah. Um, I feel like I get bigger character, better characters out of it than yeah. just come in, coming in with an idea. I will say then opposite of that, I will join somebody with just physicality Me too. Well, because yeah. they've, they've kind of established a little bit of space and you can even do that with your physicality specifically. Right. But it's, it's easier to come in than initiate if you need time to establish. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because what I'm, what I'm hearing is you like to go out knowing that you've got the time to build space with your physicality. I feel like I would run out of the shit to do immediately, but if I'm coming in to a scene and you, you've done a good job of setting up the fact, say, say you're in a helicopter, right? I'll come in with physicality that uh, I'm afraid because my initial instinct is if I'm in a helicopter, I, as Justin, am fucking terrified of this thing hitting the ground. Mm-hmm. So as an improviser, my first instinct would be, Boom, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be scared. My physicality is scared. I'm going to let Mikey tell me a little bit more about what it is that we're actually doing before I say anything. But yeah, physicality in that moment, scared. And then I can be scared about anything in that scene. Odds are, and like we saw in the Sitting Ducks show, I was afraid because you seemed very inexperienced. <laughs> right, in the helicopter. Right. Yeah. Did you think it was a helicopter the second it came on? I knew. You yeah. Knew. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You you confidently set your chair out, and I was like, "This, this motherfucker's jumping in this cockpit." Yeah, he's in a fucking pit. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, sitting next aside, like there have been moments. I mean, in our level three, I think it was. We I remember, I remember, it was one of our last classes, and we were doing. A show we were actually doing the show up in the old pig space on the stage i think it was clear or whatever and we were like fuck it we're just gonna do it up here whoever was teaching that class it must have been alan okay but um yeah level three we're in the same yeah. yeah you started out with more than physicality you did a lot of environmental work oh but you did this environmental work confidently which i think was you know your physicality as as that character but the space you built was uh very industrial i think you were taking from my from my memory from what i saw you doing you were taking pieces of metal maybe hanging them on hooks that were on a track of some sort mm. so you were taking something oh, yeah. heavy it's like, a, it's like a... hanging it up sending it away and it was just you it was all you, and you were out there for maybe 20, 30 seconds just building this space. Right. I think it was like a, a car manufacturing place. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, no. But, I, that but you're like right. And, yeah. and it, but, you know, the beauty of, of a physical initiation is that it can be anything to anybody else. It could be, any, it could be what... It could be car manufacturing for you. Mm -hmm. It could be a meat plant for other people you right. know you're hanging cows instead of of machinery but that's the beauty of improv is that you're building this whatever it is together whoever comes out 
and says what it is that it is that you are doing establishes what you're doing but you've done all the legwork of doing it confidently so your character is confident in your job whatever it is that player b says you're doing yeah yeah it is it is interesting to think that like of confidence as a um, primary characteristic because it is something that everyday people most people don't have a lot of so sure um to think of like what grounds characters in movies or acting or whatever uh as confidence Mm. too is also really funny considering that there's i feel like there's less confident people than there are people who doubt themselves or right and you know who knows that that scene could have been you confidently setting up these these car parts right wrong right oh yeah you can you can confidently play a character with not a lot of confidence too. yeah Yeah. or or you could confidently right yes right or you could play a confident a confident character who's confident in doing something very wrong oh yeah exactly i.e uh kramer or george sure they always think they're like the smartest and that everybody else is a fucking idiot (laughs) yeah yeah which is perfect as an audience member i love to see that type of fucking right. character because i've been there before right and but i love fucking dunking on that type of person and it usually feels like a foreshadow to like oh this person's confidence is going to come back and make them feel like a fool right right because george or, or who else like is this character type joey maybe from joey? friends oh i, I kind of know friends i think i know i, the, really I know, know his char- i know his character but his type, character yeah. right his character is very confident in his mm. ways and and you know right, it's seeing like, him be proven wrong is great knowing that he's not going to change right it's very i mean it's too easy but talking about seinfeld talking about curb mm-hmm. uh, and larry david is just uh the yeah. the utmost confidence person when it comes to their opinions and yes um feelings on social norms and so watching the trailer for the larry david documentary yeah i guess i postponed that they i heard so too yeah but there's a line that larry says about you know larry david is who he he as a person wishes he could be right now obviously he doesn't actually want to be this asshole but he wants to be as confident right as larry david in curb is and i think that that's just like there's a lot of of beauty in that right so yeah. i've always assumed that larry is just playing himself in curb and i'm always like well larry david's kind of a fucking dick right <laughs> but hearing larry say that he wishes he could be as confident as larry in curb opens the doors for me in terms of of how much character work larry david the actor is actually doing yeah and it's he's doing a lot of heavy lifting because it's not actually this this terrible fucking person no and i watched an episode recently where uh he's on the golf course that starts out he's on the golf course and he's given this golfer shit for going slow oh yeah and he ends up dying he ends up dying he gets ends up having a heart attack because he's so worked up yeah on the next hole right right larry decides to leave the golf course after the interaction whatever not fully participating in the death of this guy but in in a later scene right the whole golf course is sort of shut down for this guy's memorial out of respect right larry's still playing golf on this course and the golf course is named 
the Black Swan Golf Course or something yeah, along by, those lines. Uh, it's owned by uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Takasha Taka, the Japanese gentleman that 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 owns the golf course. I sure, I don't know his yeah. name either. Yeah. But anyway, Takahashi. Yeah. Takahashi, sure. Yeah. The uh, sure is I'm saying sure is and you just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not, but yeah, go for it. I I trust that you're not. Yes. Um, but my automatic response was sure exactly no you just get yeah, absolutely let's move on with the conversation let's keep going um so this black swan attacks larry david and larry murders the swan right takahashi's prized prized black swan, black black swan. swan. Yeah. yeah um all this to say larry eventually blames this dude's heart attack on the swan he yeah. knows nothing about it but he's blaming the fucking thing on the swan. And he, Larry David, the actor, is so confident and really does a good job of selling this idea that he's, he's, he's blaming the fact that this guy had a heart attack, knowing it was his fault mm-hmm. on the black swan. It's a, it's a, tro- it's a, it's something he's used throughout. I'm watching the newer season right now, and he does the same thing where. There's a woman who's a recent widow mm-hmm. of a man that died, but she's not a recent widow. She's the ex-wife of a recent of a man that just died re- recently. So she, they were divorced ten years before he died and married another woman um, because she cheated on him ten years ago, whatever the case is. Yeah. So, but she's calling herself a widow, and <laughs> so she's trying to get golf lessons. And Larry has a golf guy that he uses for like lessons and stuff to just because he get likes to get. He wants to be good at golf, I guess. Yeah. And this guy calls Larry's like, hey, man, can I move here Monday? Because uh, whatever the woman's name is, uh, <laughs> the widow, the widow, she, she's going through a tough time. Would you mind moving it? Long story short, the fact that that date was moved, his date had to move from a Monday to a Tuesday and ended up fucking the rest of his week, which in turn got him in trouble for um, something like not voting and losing the campaign or whatever the case was. Sure. To where he's being called out by this huge group of people is like it's the woman's fault from earlier because she changed her golf time because she was faking being a widow to get everything <laughs> in her favor so it's like it's always this butterfly effect of right. that show yeah i think that's a great point to 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 make because character work is not just you as the actor it's the entire cast working to help amplify whatever character trait is most prominent right mm-hmm. so if this was if larry david if larry david's character was in an improv set it's up to the entire troupe whatever scenes this person is in to sort of create situations where he's got to react mm-hmm. right so right. scene one is you know him finding out that his golf game has been bumped because of this widow mm-hmm Scene two is the widow, you know, kind of explaining the fact that she's been divorced for 10 years, but her ex-husband recently passed. And now she's considering herself a widow. Right. And he, he ends up confronting her at the end. <laughs> right. And, right. Yeah. And using that confidence that he would never think to do if he was right. putting these pieces together. But he is putting these pieces together in real life where he's starting to see like how people analyzing how people go about their lives. But he uses his writing in order as an outlet to like talk about what he thinks they're doing, where it may not even be what they're actually doing. Sure. But, 
But in terms of an improv set, right. I think character work goes beyond just the individual embodying the character. It's got to be player B heightening player A or player A heightening player B, mm-hmm. but creating the dynamic. So one person is not playing the character. The entire team is playing the characters. And that's, you know, that goes for sideline support. I'm, I, I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll call in to a scene. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot. like randomly ring a phone being like Brian's phone. I know. I, I, I kind of hate when that happens, <laughs> but I think an audience loves it. I think me as an improviser hates when that happens because it's like, I wish there was a way that we could ring the phone and the team knows whose phone is ringing without saying Brian's phone. Yeah, I mean, unless you're calling in because someone's talking about their phone. Right. How else know? are we going to, how are we going to know, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's eye contact. I don't know. I don't know how to solve that. And I, I don't yeah, know it would necessarily. Be, it would be eye contact sure. for sure. But I think uh, all, my, my hatred for cell phone uh, ringtones aside, um, I think calling in or chiming in sideline support or even like, you know, yelling as if you're somebody, a passerby on the street or something like that is a great opportunity for, you know, the, the greater cast to play character game with somebody for somebody. Um, because as an audience, I think little moments like that, it's like, um, you know how when you get the Dell's lemonade and there are little chunks of lemon oh, yeah. in it? Oh, yeah. Pulp. A little, a little pulp, right? To, to let you know that it's real. Oh, yeah. Right? Those are little moments of like, oh, yeah, this is, this is real. This is real lemon. Um, what I'm tasting is not our artificial flavor. I think little moments like that where your sideline support, cast support, scene partner support heightens the game just a little bit. It's like finding the pulp wow. in your that's, Dell's lemonade. That's beautiful. Did you, did you just come up with that? I, I did. Oh, I did. wow. I don't I want to take credit for it because I think we got there together. But I love the pulp yeah. analogy as its way of grounding and bringing out the little things. Yeah, because scene. the character in this analogy is the Dell's lemonade as a whole. The pulp mm-hmm. is the sideline support. Right. And, 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 and scene partner support. And the, 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 the Dells as a whole is this rich scene where we see a Larry David type or even an Elaine type. Elaine, Elaine being bad at dancing. I'm sorry. This is my only. Uh, no, we're just on straight Seinfeld character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my only understanding of character is Seinfeld. But, um, you know, Elaine being bad at dancing. Like that was. It's obviously really goofy and really silly for Elaine to be bad at dancing. And right. dancing itself is really bad. But the context around that episode really heightened her her dancing. It, it became an issue of like her staff respecting her, right? Which is fucking hilarious to me, and it's so so silly. But because in the context, staff is you know showing signs of being disappointed at her lack of dance skill. Like, but you, you know, beyond her staff. Even Larry, uh, George and, and oh, yeah. Jerry got in on it too. Right. As far as like their disdain for her dancing. Right. Yeah. And 
yeah, it just being like, yeah, it was like, it was like a joke that everybody was in on except for Elaine right. for a bit. Yeah. Um, what about, what about you, by the way, when it comes to uh, important things that come to mind when you think of character? Mm. Are they relatively the same as um, confidence and physicality? Yeah, I would say, you know, for me, it was, it's been a lot about empathizing with a character, playing mm-hmm. a character yeah. that you respect or a character that you don't respect, but in a respectful way. Yeah. Like you're not just playing this tropey, shitty, right. angry, drunk dad. Right. You got to play an angry, drunk dad with fucking nuance. That's a very difficult character to play, but you mm-hmm. can't just come into a scene. Yeah, it's a tough example. Yelling yeah. at your scene partner, expecting your scene partner to make whatever is happening funny, right? Yeah. But if you play uh, empathetic, if you play a drunk dad empathetically, you're going to find the reason dad's drunk. Right. And yeah, absolutely. And. Uh, you can't, you know, if you think of a drunk dad as an example, we're going to stand drunk dad. We're <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Drunk I, dad. I, I, think, I think drunk dad is like probably the hardest character no, no, to play. I, it's a good example um, because if you play, because when you think of that character on the surface level, you think of a kind of a shitty person. Very shitty person. Um, right? So drunk if, dads in pop culture have been notoriously shitty people. Right, exactly. We're not advocating for Drunk Dads and Thomas Middleditch. Um, but, <laughs> but, a, a callback that may have been cut out. <laughs> uh, and, but it's an, e- an easy way to play a drunk dad if you look at that character on the surface level mm. is a really shitty person. And if you hate that person who you're playing, right. you hate yourself as a character. Right. So how are you supposed to play and a believable... That. And, exactly. And how are you supposed to play a believable character... And not, right. we don't need to get too believable, but, sure. uh, you know, uh, with that type of character, but right, right. Well, you got to find the context, the subtext, right. sorry, of what it is that you're right. trying to say through this character. Yeah. yeah. You can't hate yourself no. in the character you're in. No, because at the same time, like you want to make your improv scenes about something, right? Yes. Like not, it doesn't have to be this big picture, like this big commentary on corporate uh, greed and, and capitalism, yeah, right? We're not, we're not trying to compete with BBC and NPR. <laughs> yeah, right. They've, got, they've, got, they've established they're wa- themselves. They're watching. We mean no harm, we BBC and NPR. We're so sorry if we're stepping on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you want to then, you know, if you're going to initiate a scene as a drunk dad, you got to fucking expect or anticipate as the actor that this scene will end with you revealing something about yourself that doesn't make being a drunk dad okay but contextualizes it in in a it, or or discusses the 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 greater issue right mm-hmm. drunk dad's a terrible example but i'm thinking if i'm going to play a drunk dad i'm going to go out and i'm going to play a drunk dad who is drunk and upset about something fucking super silly like yeah drunk dad i'm upset because the fucking build-a-bear didn't have the pink unicorn that my baby wanted Mm -hmm. something totally fucking silly subtext there is that that could go deep though men are fragile Mm. (laughs) men are fragile and (laughs) sometimes the littlest things 
ups- upset them. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a fun subtext, but it's better than somebody going out and being like, I'm a fucking drunk, angry dad, and I hate my family. Right. And all I'm going to do about in this scene is complain. Or you're a drunk dad and uh, you didn't realize that you were drinking alcohol. Right. You could be upset yeah. because you're drunk. Right. You're just like, I don't know why I feel so different right now, but <laughs> I'm very unhappy. But you doing that, that grape, voice. That make, grape juice was very, very bad. Right. Like, I went to church. Stale. I went to church and accidentally got fucking drunk. Right. Because I have such a low tolerance. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because the subtext there is that you drink at church sometimes. Right. Which is fucking silly. Well, yeah. And the <laughs> funniest part is that you're non-abusive, misogynistic, right. piece of shit. Yes. Right. <laughs> um. All of this also to say that I think inebriation scenes in any way are kind of unfun. Yes, they can be, yes. Because Uh, it's really hard for an audience to relate to a character who's drunk when they're not. Maybe. Depending. It depends. If you put... I'll say this. It's not funny to just play someone drunk or stoned or whatever just to get a laugh. That's rarely that funny. Right. Funny enough. Right, you it's think, gotta, you you think gotta, it would kill? Yeah, you got to like teeter into like absurd, absurd levels. Which, when you start a scene that absurd, the all bets are off. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good uh, point, kind of calling back to physicality being an important part of a character. Where if that is your physicality, and you're expecting just the physicality to get a laugh, right, and. Right, you've set yourself up to have to maintain right. you stumbling around the stage. Right. If you if you come on and you just start spinning yeah. in circles, yeah, to like dizzy yourself as like a character, yeah, uh, you might get sick. You might get people to laugh at that. Right. But um, you got to anticipate this scene potentially going on. I mean, if you're in a montage, right? Right. The scene could go on for five minutes. Yeah. And you got to you got to prepare yourself for that. Now, if you're doing a mono scene or something, then you definitely have to fucking prepare or or your character's got to sober up quickly Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah, i would say empathy is my biggest thing okay it's not even my biggest thing because it's like night to night my intentions are different my what's another one though another one we'll do two and two okay okay perfect yeah having a clear want Mm -hmm. a character to me is defined by what they want out of the scene now, in this context, you and I are together specifically to podcast. Both of us want to record a podcast. Now, a little deeper, I tonight wanted to talk about character. You probably wanted to talk about fucking Batman. 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 <laughs> right. So, you know, what are we doing together? We're podcasting. Mm-hmm. What is my want? talk about character your want is to talk about batman yeah i mean you know hypothetically right but it's what makes a good improv scene is having clear wants that are different i mean you could peas in a pot it all day which is fun yeah but even when you're peas in a potting it when you both want the same thing there's different levels of that want that's that's a big one especially with the duo set is um if both of your characters are in constant agreement with one another, if mm-hmm. you're yes-anding out 
your fucking ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be frank, um, it might be kind of boring. Um, right. You have to have some opposition and juxtaposition in a two person yeah. set in order for it to feel dynamic. Yeah. If you're constantly agreeing with, with each other throughout the entire thing, you're going to go on a great journey as characters. <laughs> sure. But I don't think they're going to learn as much. Right. And also that was too poetic or like too serious, but like there's some, uh, you no, know, you're right. Yeah. Because in an improv scene, like if you're yes anding, so there's, there's different levels of yes. And, and I think big time, you know, uh, our language may differ on this topic, mm-hmm. Sure, but Maybe. in a scene where you're just, constantly agreeing back and forth we'll we'll call this the yes and hamster wheel olympics <laughs> sure yes the yes and olympics where you're just going through the motions of of improv the scene itself suffers but if you're yes ending the situation then you can find conflict in the scene that propels the scene further faster stronger than if you were to just constantly be agreeing because agreeing leads to resolve yes but larry david's not funny because everyone in his life yeses him larry david is fucking hilarious because he stands out so starkly against uh what's his friend his friend's wife susie 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 green him and susie go fucking We'll go toe-to-toe. Constantly, yeah. Nine times out of ten, Susie's in the right. Susie's speaking from audience perspective. The the logic, if you will, to Larry's absurd. Yes. Um, So, yeah, there's got to be that absurd logic balance that I think kind of contradicts the idea of yes and, especially when the absurd character is so heavy and strong in the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, The logic may feel like negation. Um, but what it's doing is, is really agreeing to the scene and the fact that these two characters are going to butt heads. And, and like you said, in a duo sense, like that's very important, right? In a group, in a group game, you can't, you cannot have that level of absurd logic dynamic because then the, all all bets are off. The group yeah, is no you, longer together. You're yeah, not a group. Exactly. Yeah, you're giving everybody the opportunity to, you know, steer the ship at the same right. time. Yeah, which is... And from my perspective, a group scene works specifically because what we're watching is a chorus of comedy. Yeah. I think also, um, we've talked about this before too, um, the audience really likes feeling smarter than the players or yes. just as smart as the players. The audience doesn't like to be right. trying to figure it out along with the uh, performers that much. They like it in a, to a certain extent. I will say yeah. they like characters getting a little meta, maybe breaking the fourth sure. wall and being like, uh, where are we right now? Right. Oh, it's one of my favorite moves to make. It's a great move because the audience too is a bit confused when, right. when, players are confused however if there's no direction which is what we're kind of getting to in yeah. a group scene if you will with four different players uh disagreeing with one another the audience doesn't know who to follow right and i i that would that, i could see that as being maybe frustrating as an experience goes dude you're hitting home the idea of investing not inventing right the, the audience yeah, sure. is familiar with how a character like larry david operates 
a character like Larry David being strong in their opinion. So the audience wants to see this person express that opinion over and over and over again. Even though they know it's coming, they love to see it. It's familiar. The jo- it's, it's the joke, right? Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of weight off of an improviser to know that I can do this same thing over and over again and please the audience. Right. We're both on the same page. What I think improvisers try to do is outsmart an audience. Mm -hmm. And I think when your go-to is to try and be a step ahead, you're not listening, you're not being present, you're not serving the scene. Right. Only when you're serving the scene, doing this thing, whatever it is, this when you're playing this game over and over and over again, only then can you actually be a step ahead of the audience because you're actually becoming this character in a way. Yeah. Foreshadowing too. You kind of, you kind of develop a, a way of being able to foreshadow for yeah. the audience. Right. Um, it, it's, it's not saying it's, you know, always going to happen, but it, it allows you to foreshadow and sure. you and the audience, you kind you kind of get to be coy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not doing it right away. You're you're alluding to it, right? Um, yeah, being coy is very is a very tricky part of improv. It's it's cool and funny to have a joke that feels very close, yeah. And maybe not everybody's going to get it, and it takes a second to marinate. It's another thing when it becomes like a riddle, it's like sure. what what your angle is with yeah. a joke. It's like no, I think it's sometimes it's better to just be simple, and yeah, yeah. and and play the reality of of who you are as this character in in this scene yes and i think it's easier as a comedian to say something funny right Mm -hmm. it's easier to say something that you think is going to be funny it's harder to actually say something that resonates with an audience that feels true to this character and I'm not saying there's there's a right way because sometimes saying the funny thing will get you out of the scene that you need to that that needs to end, you know. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it resonates with an audience more than playing something real. But um yeah, I forget the point I was trying to make, but yeah, if you can if, if there's nothing wrong with a good button. Right. Um on a scene. But you're right in saying that like sometimes trying to be too coy um yeah, misleads misdirects an audience yeah because it can come across in a lot of ways it could come across as really pretentious like (laughs) it's like do you really think we don't get it right now like we we know exactly that you're making a sex joke right now or (laughs) or you're or you're hiding something right you know i don't i don't have any good examples i'm sorry sure Uh, sure sure but um i guess if we were to exemplify anything um you know, our scenes in the uh, Sitting Ducks Improv show where we were on a safari, um, that was, you know, as those scenes progressed, there was a lot of focus on our relationship to one another. Now, these scenes were not stellar by any means, mm-hmm. but they were fun. They are fun to watch and they were fun to play in. Mm-hmm. But... What we did was up front, 
our opening scene. I think there was a series of three scenes, right? Yeah. Our opening scene was us hunting. Hunting, which I changed my character in the second scene. I had a some type of British uh, New Zealand accent. Oh, did you really? And then I think in the second scene, I lost the the accent completely because I wasn't sure. Well, maybe we were different characters. I was trying to be the character from the first scene, but when you came into, (laughs) I think I initiated that scene. And when you came in, I didn't think you realized that I was the character from the first scene. So for some reason, I dropped my accent in the moment. Oh, oh, well, maybe my accent dropping was your accent dropping. I don't think you had an accent in the first scene. I think I had an accent and you didn't. It's here's, tough. Here's how, and tough. This, but this is a great this is a great moment. Yeah. Because this I'm 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 announcing that this moment we're about to have is fucking great. Okay. I I think I'm with you, but go for it. Let's okay. See. Starting out with an accent is not necessarily the most important thing to the scene. Mm-hmm. Playing the accent is not the most important thing to the scene. Playing the character is. And I'm pretty sure our audience knew who we were to each other, even though we dropped the accent. So, yeah. all this to say, maybe you don't do accents. I mean... Oh, no, I think you can, you can do accents. Sure. <laughs> yes. You can do accents. Love a French accent. I love oh, yeah. pulling out a fucking French or Canadian accent. But... Or French-Canadian. So. <laughs> good, old, good old Rhode Island, Woonsocket, French-Canadian <laughs> accent. Um, all that to say, like, it's not the most important thing. So if you're thinking I got to start each scene, and this is something that I've, I've, I've struggled with. I've got to start each scene with a different character, which means I've got to play a different accent. It's not necessary. You just being a bachelor in the woods, uh, works regardless of what accent you're working. And it is different from the cop that you played in the past scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, because your demeanor is different, your mannerisms are different. You may sound the same, but it's a different, completely different character. Mm-hmm. And from the audience perspective, like I don't need to see it. But if you're gonna start out a scene with an accent and then lose the accent halfway through the scene, I'm gonna notice as an audience. Oh member. yeah, big time. Yeah, you, you can't. Know? You can't. Talking about confidence. Yeah, you can't dip out on an accent mid scene it's one thing to forget about it later as long as like you're like like we're talking about the characters are established and it's like oh the audience may not even remember it right i Uh, certainly didn't you know and i lived the show and then i watched the show back sure um but yeah that that's a that's a great point to 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 lose it i've seen people do it where they they have an accent and then they get so lost in the plot right of the scene that they just completely forget because they're so stressed out about the plot that they completely lose their accent right and another thing too is you know as an improviser you may go out with an accent and the accent might end up being the funny thing in the scene the game of the scene Mm -hmm. yeah you may not want that right so think about it is it necessary and then do it confidently yeah um all that to say the relationship between bachelor and friend who was throwing the bachelor party that happened to be a safari in the woods mm-hmm. was very dynamic, very fruitful and done. So because of what is it? We were talking about right before we went on that tangent. Um, 
Safari. Not being coy. Not being coy. Was that it? I mean, we did talk about that, but it wasn't right before, I don't think. <laughs> anyway, character, I think this may be the point I was trying to make. It may not be, but I think okay. it's a great way to wrap it up. Mm. Character doesn't need to be anything more than who you are in the relationship that you're in with your scene partner. Right. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't need to be this whole facade of a, of a character. Right. Yeah. It can just be about where you're, who they are, what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, just as much as Kramer is a character, just as much as Jim Carrey as the mask in, mm-hmm. in the mask, mm-hmm. uh, is a character that is not who you need to be to play a character in a scene. Right. And, um, yeah, I hope I hope this conversation sort of uh, demystifies in a way like what character is, because I think we as improvisers put a lot of pressure on character because the big ones stand out to us. Yeah. Yeah. Character character. You mean you can use again everything, you know. Yeah. To to put in to to create a character. Right. We all have a, a wealth of knowledge in our own way. Right, we um, know we know people in our lives that stand out who have very mm-hmm. you know specific uh, perspectives, right. and I think it's playing those perspectives and imagining yourself living this person's day to day in an improv scene, which is really hard to do because you're obviously in the moment listening to what your scene partner is adding to the scene while also trying to you know embody this person live this life that this person has lived um it sounds big but um and it sounds hard and it sounds daunting but trust me it's easier to try to play somebody real than it is to maintain a big um uh chris farley type character throughout an improv set right um yeah not to say you shouldn't go out and try to be chris farley um but just know you know that chris farley Playing a big character is Chris Farley playing somebody real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I, I think, and to go back to initiating scenes with physica- physicality, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be a big presence when I'm doing that because I feel like I need to add a lot to the scene to make the scene work. Gotcha. Yeah. But it's not the case. No. Um, yeah, you can... I mean, Beast from X-Men. Sure. That's a great example. Beast is not acting like a beast. Beast is... Kelsey sound, Grammer. Sounding like Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great example. Yeah. Because hey, the name Beast in and of itself makes you think, fucking this guy's going to come in as a Tasmanian devil. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be like... Rah, 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 yeah. Not the case. No, he's, he's a he's, very he's, sophisticated, yeah. subdued character mm-hmm. who's, who's very intelligent. Yeah. Not to say intelligence is right. not he, funny. But he's a blue haired to like saber toothed man who walks around in some versions in just a speedo. Right. That's true. Yeah. And he's got fucking claws. Yeah. But he's the most intelligent person just out of Professor X and right. Magneto probably. It's like running into a fucking bear in the middle of the woods and realizing that this bear is just a fucking librarian. Yeah, they're just listening to Spotify. <laughs> This bear is not gonna attack me. Yeah, he's fucking listening to fucking Joe Rogan. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, they're like they're like opening up a box of knives and just like looking at them. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like all their favorite is, knives. This bear is really concerned with whatever fucking black market supplement protein supplements he's right. taking. They just they're just like lining up all their they're organizing all their kettlebells. <laughs> Bear's got a sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, we just, you know, that's the thing. Don't, rule, rule number one of improv. Yeah. Don't assume you know everything about everybody. Oh, my God, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I really think, like, I don't know, speaking of this, like, bear-beast juxtaposition... I think it's like really fun to play in, in, with expectation in that way. Oh, big time. Improv's like yeah. one of the best things to, to mess with expectation on. Like your landlord character immediately from an audience perspective, I don't want to like you because landlords are notoriously shitty. Yeah. And you were playing a particularly <laughs> shitty landlord right however you got everyone to empathize with your character by saying something as silly as uh my family doesn't like me right they call me names when i'm home they ask me things like why are you home right i as an audience member me in the scene i wanted to get out i don't want to be with you because you were crying at an olive garden oh really Oh, 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 I thought you meant it made it awkward. No, but as an audience member, like, I went from, oh, this fucking landlord sucks in this past scene to, oh, this landlord sucks because he's got, like, a pretty crappy family who doesn't love him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a really fun, it's a really fun thing to, to do is tamper with expectation in that way. Yeah. Don't be superficial, everybody. <laughs> I'm not saying that you're being superficial. No, I'm saying don't be like, don't just look at it as a, like, don't just play a landlord as a piece of shit because right. that's, it gets old pretty fast. Sure. Do yeah. You, you, how much, if you're, if you're a good person, right. You can only play an awful person so much. Right. I mean, this goes back to the drunk dad. Right. Like, don't just play the stereotypes. Yeah. Make us care about this character. Yeah. In a way that we didn't expect to care about this character. But, you know, at the same time, it puts a lot of pressure on you as the actor, so... Who's to say? This, <laughs> if you've gotten to the end of this podcast, just realize none of this matters. Right. And We've said literally nothing to help you become a better improviser. Man. That's what I love about improv. It's mm-hmm. so subjective. Mm-hmm. And what works and what doesn't work is determined by whether an audience is fucking laughing. Yeah. It's an absurd thing to talk about and teach people. Right, it is, because it's like fucking uh, trying to herd cats. Mm-hmm. What works one night we may not work another night. I don't know if, how much her cat herding experience you yeah. have. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can teach it only so much. You can teach right. anything right. Uh, performative only so much before sure. it t- comes into uh, a, very, a, a wide variety of reasons why someone right. like, won't have fun or find themselves like, like doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not right but like successfully but not successfully man but i don't know like I, there are I don't specific know what's rules funny. there are specific rules that i've gotten in improv that i love breaking oh yeah yeah you should always break rules you know but so you gotta, we gotta know the rules you gotta know the rules in order to, to break, break them, the rules. you know i think one one rule that i love breaking is this um unspoken agreement between audience and and performer that 
performers perform on the stage audience it's in the audience oh, yeah. i fucking love going into the audience it's shocking that oh yeah yeah you're you're really good at going into the audience <laughs> yeah. i love that as an attribute <laughs> have you have you have you done improv justin oh my god have you seen have you have you seen him go into the he's audience a, he's a bit of a one note performer he just kind of goes into the audience yeah sometimes yeah um recluse to put a bow yeah, on let's put a bow on that. this fucking podcast Ugh. and play characters that you empathize with mm-hmm. break rules but have fun and you know play 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 up the juxtaposition a little bit yeah but also don't you know pull a rabbit out of your hat for the sake of pulling a rabbit out of your hat yeah you you know what you know what to do when you, you're up there you know you know you listening knows what to do yeah you you already know if you have the confidence to go on stage and do improv mm-hmm you know what to do. You know what to do. Yeah, Just, you. If you have the confidence to go up stage on stage and improvise, you are already familiar with the language that is audience performer, and you know how to hear it. You know how to speak it. You just got to trust that. Yeah. All, yeah. all everything we're saying totally subjective. Yeah, and if you go up there fully confident and no one ever laughs. Well, you know, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to be living in delusions forever. You know what I mean? It just Jesus Christ, up. Mikey! <laughs> <laughs> hey man, not everybody, not every, not everybody's. You know, dang, you're literally playing up the juxtaposition of who I thought you were mm. by telling our audience to give it up if they feel like they're not funny. It's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> As we've discussed, this is all subjective, and any improv book that I've I've read uh, starts out by saying like these are this is just how we see improv, you know. So this mm. works for us. It may not work for you. Yeah, go start your own fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs>